It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Live, Mike. You heard just before we went to break the update in the numbers from the Utah Department of Health. Four additional Utahns have lost their lives to the coronavirus today. Three were hospitalized. One was a resident of a long-term care facility. The number of new cases today, 295. And the number of new hospitalizations, 13. It's heartbreaking stuff. I want you to know that there is a resource. There is a website, coronavirus.utah.gov. On there, you will find not only the information I've just showed you here, but an exhaustive breakdown of this data. Right now in front of me, I sit looking at some of the breakdowns regarding mortality statistics. Again, this is at coronavirus.utah.gov. Here in the state of Utah, we have lost 143 lives total. Confirmed cases attributable to the coronavirus, 143. That equates to a mortality rate of 1%. 1% mortality rate. Now, you might have asked yourself from time to time, what's the breakdown male to female? We have those numbers. They're available to you at coronavirus.utah.gov. 55.2% of those Utahns who have lost their lives have been male. 55.2% compared to 44.8% female. Average age. Average age of those to have died from the coronavirus here in Utah, 73.7. Almost 74 years old. 73.7 is the average age of those who have lost their lives to the coronavirus here in Utah. And the last, the last figure I want to share with you here is the percentage of those at high risk. The percentage of those who fell into the high-risk category who lost their life to the coronavirus. Now, let me, before I give you the number, repeat uh, and remind you of the definition of high risk. According to the state of Utah, you are at high risk if you are at least 65 years of age or older and or and or have at least one pre-existing condition. So you are at least 65 years of age and or you have at least one pre-existing condition. That's a cardiovascular deficiency, chronic pulmonary deficiency, diabetes. If you are immunocompromised, if you have chronic kidney troubles, chronic liver troubles, uh, if you are a current smoker, 93.7% of those fatalities here in the state of Utah came from those who were in the high-risk pool, 93.7%. You can draw from that any conclusions you want, and you can adapt your behavior based on that data any which way you want. But the data is there and it's available to you. I'll repeat at coronavirus.utah.gov. Much more there in terms of demographics, risk factors, hospitalizations, trends, and of course the overview, coronavirus.utah.gov. I want to talk to you before we move on to the next segment about civilian review boards. This has been a theme here on Live Mike, we've discussed them a number of times. We have talked to various leaders in the community. We've looked to other states to see uh, how they operate. A civilian review board is very basically, it is a board or an organization which is made up of members of the community, either appointed or elected or somehow assembled, 
to keep their eye on law enforcement, to look over accusations of, say, excessive force or uh, anything that might raise to the level of uh, requiring review. These civilian review boards, which here in the state of Utah exist, exist in Salt Lake City and in West Valley City and maybe elsewhere. I've had conversations with, uh, as I mentioned, various uh, community leaders. I want to walk through some of those comments before we move on to uh, the next segment, which will be uh, a lengthy conversation with Representative Paul Ray. These civilian review boards can be put together in countless numbers of ways. But there are, there are, there are two main distinctions between this type of civilian review board and that kind of civilian review board. The kind we have here in Utah, in Salt Lake City and in West Valley City and maybe elsewhere, uh, they do not have any authority over the chief of police or over the department at large. There is nothing, there is nothing that the review board can do that will compel action of the chief of police. So, for example, if there is a concern, if there is a complaint which rises to the level of civilian review board, they can... You know, they can make phone calls, they can uh, get their, they can do interviews, they can conduct interviews, they can even request certain documents, which would be available publicly anyway. And from that investigation, they can then make recommendations to the chief of police, which as we heard uh, just last week in a conversation with Chris Burbank, former chief of the Salt Lake City Police Department, he said happened quite regularly. Now there's the other kind, the other kind of review board, which exists if I'm honest, uh, pretty frequently in, on the East Coast of the United States. And that is a civilian review board which actually has the authority and the ability to compel behavior by the chief of police. They can demand that officers be fired. They can demand, in some cases, that policies be changed. They can demand that salaries be revealed and altered. Paul Ray put in place a law introduced a piece of legislation which was later signed into law preventing the ability for review boards to have authority over chiefs of police uh, here in the state of Utah. We're going to get into those details in the next segment, but right now let me share with you some of the thoughts by community leaders on civilian review boards generally. I spoke last Monday to, Jean to Janetta Williams, president of the NAACP Salt Lake branch, speaking on what kind of reform the NAACP is working on. Our focus now is going to be making sure that we do and work with law enforcement on some type of civilian review boards and making sure that we have some type of accountability and reform going on. If I'm honest, it was that comment right there that turned my attention uh, so intensely on these civilian review boards. I have, seen, uh, I have seen them bring about much good, and I have seen them bring about much division and conflict between say, a mayor's office and a department. So if, if we in Utah are going to move forward with this, or if there is going to be federal legislation or legislation on any level, we need to thoroughly, thoroughly understand uh, what is happening and what is being demanded by some, what is being resisted by others, and how there may be uh, some room in between. Last Wednesday, I spoke with Abby Desanmon, chairperson of the Professional Standards Review Board of the West Valley Police Department, uh, of, of the review board there. Uh, she talked about what value her board has. And I can't speak to all boards because it, they come in all different shapes and sizes. We all function very differently. 
Um, but specific to the PSRB, um, I believe the value that we that we provide is that we have direct oversight with the police department. And if in our reviews of any uses of force, displays of force, pursuits, or internal uh, IA complaints, if we ever see anything that we think may need modification, we have direct communication with IA, with the chief of police to uh, effectuate changes. So there you have it. That is the, the, the chairperson for an actual one of these boards here in the state of Utah, specifically the West Valley Police Department. Last clip I want to play for you comes uh, from last Tuesday during a conversation I had with Chris Burbank, former Salt Lake City Police Chief and currently Vice President of Law Enforcement Strategy for the Center for uh, Policing Equity. He describes the work of these boards and says there should be one of some kind in every department. And he describes the role and talks about even his own experience. Every police agency in the nation should have some sort of civilian review board capability. This is where the civilians or a panel selected by a mayor, usually not elected people, but individuals that are placed on that do not represent or not part of the police department, and they review and have access to internal affairs files and complaints against the police department. Now, Salt Lake City has had this in place actually preceding me being the police chief, but I work very closely with the Civilian Review Board, and they have the ability to question, to call witnesses, to review all investigative material, and then they make a con- they draw a conclusion and make a recommendation to the police chief. Now, I was not bound to abide by that, but boy, if I was going different than what the Civilian Review Board recommended, I better have some uh, pretty good talking points in order to support my side of that argument. So that is the Civilian Review Board, the idea of a Civilian Review Board, uh, explained by leaders here in Utah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Representative Paul Ray. He, last year, introduced a piece of legislation which removed any authority from these review boards other than their ability to make recommendations to uh, chiefs of police or sheriffs here in the state of Utah. Why did he do that? Why was it important? And is there a place for review boards here in the state of Utah? We'll ask Representative Paul Ray, who also will be participating in a special session of the Utah legislature this week. That's coming up next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I want you to pay particular attention to this segment because I need your feedback. 
and I'd like you to send it to me via the Utah Community Credit Union text line, 57500. You heard me set the stage for this conversation in the last segment. We played various comments by uh, leaders of this organization and that, uh, both current and former here in the state of Utah, regarding this idea of a civilian review board. A civilian review board, uh, which is either tasked by a mayor or tasked themselves with overseeing the behavior and the actions of a police department and engaging in some fashion uh, investigations and uh, you know, fact-finding and ultimately, at least here in Utah, uh, rendering some sort of uh, suggestion or recommendation to the chief of police or to the department in question. Well, here in Utah as opposed to some cities in the country, these review boards don't have actual authority. So uh, the chief of police who is empowered to oversee his or her uh, department is the, has the authority to hire and to fire and to, you know, w within whatever system set in place, uh, establish policy and maintain policy. A review board here in Utah can't step in and change that. Uh, review board here in Utah, the review board uh, which looks at the Salt Lake City Police Department and the West Valley Police Department, they can't uh, get together uh, and make a decision and demand that the chief make a change. They don't have that authority. That's the law here in Utah. It became the law just last year. May 14th of last year, this Law took effect, signed by the governor in March of last year. It was a piece of legislation introduced by Representative Paul Ray. He was the chief sponsor. His partner in the Senate was Senator Don Ibsen, who introduced the bill on the floor of the Senate on March 14th, uh, and he described the bill, HB 415, this way. This bill gives the power of running police departments within local, to the local elected officials. It maintains that local elected officials can hire and fire the police chief, the fire chief, and determine policies and other officers or disciplines. The bill does affect citizen commissions as they are currently and will not stop cities from creating new commissions in the future. Senator Ibsen was asked what the reason for the bill was. He responded this way. What we're having is anti-law enforcement activist groups trying to take over these community councils and be negative towards the police department. This simply gives it a clarity on the line that the city council and the mayor have the jurisdiction to do it. Joining us on the line now is the man responsible for this legislation. And let me remind you the timeline of this. It uh, became law here in the state of Utah May of 2019. That is well before any of the recent uh, protests took place, any of the recent calls for change and defund the police and all that. This is uh, well before all of that. Joining us now is Representative Paul Ray. Sir, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Lee? Uh, I'm doing well. And let me just, uh, first and foremost, come out straight and say I'm grateful to you for this legislation. I agree with its rationale, and I'm glad that's in, that it's in place. Let me ask you, though, uh, what, what led you to introduce this when you did? Well, thank you. And, and I think what, what happened, Lee, is we were getting a lot of push, Salt Lake City specifically. Um, there was a document, and I, I shared that with your, your show earlier this morning, um, where they wanted to be able to take control of the police department. And it basically would have usurped the authority of the chief and of the city council. And it would have uh, even taken 3% of the law enforcement budget. Now, law enforcement's underfunded the way it is. 
And so that's another 3% of their budget, which would have been about $2 million, I want to say. Um, towards the, the people that put this together, they would be elected. Um, you can't even be a police officer, a relative of a police officer, or anything to run for this election. And so I just, if you look at it in totality, it was absolutely the wrong way to go. And so, um, you know, seeing how this could, could become a big push, I decided to step in and say, you know what, I fully support citizen review boards, but they need to stay citizen review boards and not basically be elected officials where you turn everything political. Is there a value, is there a value to these, the review boards, as you mentioned, uh, without the authority which you took from them in this, uh, in, in this legislation? What's the value of a, of a review board with merely the ability to, to make recommendation? Well, very, very valuable. I mean, if you Chief Brown mentioned, if you look at Salt Lake City, you know, Chief Brown right now works really well with the review board. They have that ability to go in and to investigate, to look at different things, and to give recommendations. Uh, but you have a police chief who has a lot of experience, a lot of, you know, usually at least a, a bachelor's to a master's degree, and they really understand law enforcement from, you know, much higher level than a civilian level. Mm-hmm. So you have that person making the, the final call. But the input from that review commi- you know, commission, uh, the ability to overlook officers' actions, I think that's important because it, it really calls into account if an, if an officer gets out of line. And that, that, to me, is a great aspect of it, but it needs to be the chief and the mayor or the city council making that final decision. Right. The, the mayor and the council, the, the elected officials in the room. Uh, let me ask you this. We have the special session of the Utah legislature coming up uh, this week. What do you expect to see on this law enforcement front this week? Well, you know, I, I think uh, as we talked about on one of the earlier shows here in KSL, we've uh, there's an anti-choking bill that will be coming forward. I think you're going to need something to do with review commissions. Um, you know, my understanding is there might be a requirement for them, which I would oppose, because you have very small cities who couldn't do it. They mm-hmm. absolutely could not do that. Uh, so we, we, we need to allow it and encourage it. I'm not sure we need to mandate it. Um, and so I think you'll see that. And um, I haven't seen the full slate of bills coming out for law enforcement, but I think those will be two of the, the bigger ones that are, that are coming forward. I'm hesitant to do a lot in a special session mm-hmm. because, number one, right now we're in the height of a lot of emotion on this. And emotion is not the best way to legislate. You really need to legislate once everything is calmed down. You can take a good look at the facts, and you can work things uh, very transparently. So I think you'll see more stuff coming in the general session than what you'll see here in the special session. That's a, it's a wonderful point you bring up there that you know sometimes big decisions should ought not be made in the midst of uh, you know great chaos and irregularity. We kind of have a, a rule here in the Lonsbury household where uh, you know if you're stressed out, if you're upset, let's not make any big uh, life decisions. In the midst of this coronavirus stuff, we're not looking at new vehicles or new homes or anything like that. We're going to wait uh, till calm can prevail. So it's a, a good point that you, you bring up. I wonder though, how do you communicate the the, the reality of that notion to those who nightly are gathering in the streets shouting for change? You know, we, we try. I'm not sure it resonates. Uh, you know, when you have people that are so upset and so emotional, um, it, it's really hard to really have that resonate with them. But I'm sure if they were on the other side of an argument, they would appreciate for calmer minds to, to step forward. And, you know, and yeah, there are probably some things that we can do in a special session, which, which you'll see coming forward. But I, I think the really big decisions – you know, let's let's do that when we're out outside of all this emotion. Mm-hmm. Do we know which day you're all getting together yet? I believe uh, we haven't exactly, but it'll be should be Thursday and Friday of this week, so the 18th and 19th. 
Okay. We will have committee hearings. I think some started today. Um, I've got law enforcement tomorrow and health and human services. And I think we have a few carryover on Wednesday uh, with a special session on Thursday, Friday, and even potentially Saturday if we don't get done in those two days. Are you gathering together at Capitol Hill or is this uh, via Zoom again? You know, it's, I think it's going to be a mixture. Some people on the Hill uh, for social distancing and some people on Zoom. All right. Very good. Uh, Representative Paul Ray, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lee. All right, good luck uh, this special session. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about uh, still on this notion of law enforcement and reform and change, uh, but really now looking at the federal level where we are seeing a battle back and forth between Democrats and Republicans on what exactly is acceptable. While there is much that divides uh, these two groups, the two parties on law enforcement reform, there are some areas of common ground. We'll look at those next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.